This morning we're going to spend some time in Micah chapter 3. I want to welcome Sergey up. Sergey is going to pray for me this morning. Um, he represents you in praying that God's spirit might move through my preparation and my words as we hear from God's word. This morning we are talking about um, uh, tithing and uh, Sergey is going to pray into that. Sergey, would you please? Please bow your heads. Um, dear Lord, I pray for Pastor Scott this morning and for a message that he's going to deliver to us. I pray that he will speak through you to us. I pray for all the people in here so they would listen with open hearts and open minds. And I pray so everyone would have great the rest of the Sunday. In your name, pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sergey. So um, we are preaching about tithing. It's my favorite topic, right? Um, I love this. Uh, as, as your pastor, this is uh, somewhat uncomfortable for me. Um, and I want you to know that, that this is not sort of my go-to topic if I have to pick a sermon to, to teach on. It's not tithing because it's certainly, I mean, this affects my salary. This affects what I receive. And I don't want to in any way come across as selfish or desiring to, you know, for, for you to pay me more. That's not what this is about at all. I, as your pastor, seek to be faithful to teaching you what God, God's word says. And it has something to say about how we tithe, what we give, about our, our silver and our gold, and what we have and how we think about what we have. And so out of a desire to be faithful to the text in that, I want to share with you um, some of what God has for you. I, I'd like to begin by asking you to imagine, for some of you this will, this will be easy, for others it might be a little bit harder. I want you to imagine that you really love Hunting and fishing and mountain biking and rock climbing and um, going in the you know back country and just enjoying the outdoors. For some of you, that's going to be really easy because like you already have a hike plan for later on today. I mean, you're up in the mountains later on. You know that. Some of you, it's going to be a little bit harder because you would much rather enjoy your lazy boy on a Sunday afternoon. It's be a little harder for you, but you're a person who likes to be outside and enjoying the outdoors. And you have a friend old friend, like childhood friend, who made a lot of money as a banker for a number of years in his life, did really, really well, but decided to put that whole life behind him and to go off the grid. You know what off the grid is? Off the grid is finding a place where there's no like government utilities that connect to your home. And you're, you don't have like running water maybe. You're like in the middle of nowhere. This guy went to middle of nowhere, Alaska with like 500 acres with a stream running through it and mountains and hills. This beautiful, beautiful country. He just wanted to get away from it all and sort of turn his back on all the craziness of, of Western culture. So he's got this spot. You don't even know where it is. You, you can't even find it on a map because it's that out of the way. And he says to you, sends you an, an email because he still has email because everyone does. And so he, he sends you an email. And in that email, he says to you, um, hey, listen, I have all this property. I know you love to be outside, hunting, fishing, all that stuff. Come up and visit me. You can hang out for a month. We'll hunt and eat it what we kill, we'll fish, we'll eat what we bring in, we'll enjoy the summertime here, it's amazing, it's beautiful, come on up. You say, of course, I'm looking so forward to it. 
And he says, and by the way, you need to know that where I live is awfully hard to find. So I'm going to give you a whole bunch of directions that are very precise. And if you don't get them right, you're never going to find my place. Because he lives in a place where it's like, literally, go 200 yards on this dirt track, turn left at the bear carcass, go down another half mile, turn right at the fence post with a little bit of red on top of it, and go for a mile and a half, and I'm there beside the creek between the mountain and the hill. You know, it's that sort of directions. And you say to him, thanks for your directions, but I'm fine. I've got a nose for how to get where I need to go, so I'll figure it out. I mean, how, how big is Alaska anyway? It won't be that hard to find you. And so you leave here from Southern California, you drive up, takes you a couple days to get up to, to, to Juneau and then eventually to Fairbanks. And you get to Fairbanks because he says you have to fly into Fairbanks, you get into Fairbanks. And then you start asking people, hey, you know my friend Bob? Yeah, he's got some backcountry property. Do you know where it is? And they're going to look at you like, you're crazy because this is Alaska and we have like 20,000 people who live in the backcountry and don't want to talk to anybody. That's the kind of state we are. You going to find his house? Probably not, unless you go back to the email, unless you go back to the directions. And, and you, you'd never find his house. You go home and you send him an email and you're irate and you're angry and you say, you didn't let me find your house. And he's going to look at you going like, dude, you're nuts. I gave you the directions. I told you exactly how to come and be with me. But you didn't listen. And because you didn't listen, you missed an incredible month. Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, You have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Right from the beginning of this text of Malachi, God is saying, I've told you over and over again how to get to be with me. How to come and be in relationship with me. I've I've told you, I've given you the book of the law. You have Deuteronomy. You have Leviticus. You have the prophets. You have all these texts. I have told you how to be with me, but you have turned your back on those things that bring you to be close and intimate in relationship with me. But if you go back to them, if you go back and understand and live within the decrees, the law, in obedience to me, then I will be with you. I will, I will bless you. And, and the people, of course, resp- wonder, what, what, what did we do? We continue reading at verse 8. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? 
in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. I'm sorry, Don, I skipped that last point. That's okay. You know, if you want to throw the blanks up there for people's OCD, that's fine. They can fill those in. But for us to hear God saying to his people, folks, you're robbing me. You're robbing me because you're not doing the thing that I called you to do. The thing, one of the things that I, the direction that I gave you to be an intimate and close relationship with me, to how to get to me, come to my place. I've told you how to do that. And one place where you're messing it up is in tithes and offerings. You're robbing me. Now, if you think about who God is, then you have to ask the question, how in the world can you rob God, right? Is that even possible? He's the creator of the universe. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's made everything and put it in place, knit and formed and fashioned it for his glory. If God wanted to, do you think he could find the deposits of gold that haven't been discovered on the planet yet? He knows exactly. Put them there. There's gold. I need it, I can take it. The diamonds in Africa or other parts of the world. Do you think that he could get it? Of course, God's kingdom will never be limited because of underfunding. Because if God wants funds to be made available, they will be made available because he's God. It's impossible, actually, for us to financially rob God. I don't think, in fact, when God says in this text that his people are robbing him, that he's saying anything about finances. Yeah, it has it connected. But it's not about finances. It's about trust. It's about faith. God is saying to his people here, you don't trust me. You don't believe in me. I told you, I told you who I am. I've shown you who I am. I have kept promises to be your God. You will be my people. I've kept promises to redeem you from slavery. I've kept promises to be with you. I've kept promises to heal you. I've kept promises to be with you, to save you from oppression, to save you from disease. I have kept my promises to give you a land. I have kept my promises every step along the way. And I asked for you in response to my faithfulness, to my promises to you, to be obedient to me, and you don't trust me. That's where you're robbing. You're robbing me of faith. And if we know anything from the text of Scripture, we know this. Faith in God, faith ultimately in Christ, is something that matters to God. He longs for it from us. He longs for us to live into a world, live into an existence that says, every day I will trust in you. We even hear, what do we hear in the Lord's Prayer? Give us today our daily bread. That's a statement of faith. Give me enough for today, Lord. Sustain me for today. We need to hear that for all of our life, that God is calling us to live into the place of faith. And one of the places where the rubber meets the road the most is money, right? It's one of those places that we often hold close to the chest. 
It's one of those big, big, it's a big deal. You've heard the phrase, you can never have enough money, right? You've, you've heard, you've probably felt this idea when that offering bag comes around. Ooh, if I give this money, that means this other bill isn't going to get paid full. Or what am I going to do about this? Or am I going to have to limit what I spend on this this month if I give money here? Offering is oftentimes this, is this place of mental gymnastics in our head. Should we give? Can we give? Is it right for me to keep and hold back? We all go through that. And when I preach to you this morning, I'm still preaching with a mirror right in front of me because I've gone through that struggle. We've had, we've had that discussion, Kristen and I, in our homes at times. If things are tight, something's got to give. And what often gives? Well, we don't pay that check fully to the church. We don't give to that cause that we said we would. We don't give to that ministry or that missionary or that person. Why? Because, well, if we do, then this isn't going to get taken care of. And God looks at us and he says, where are you? Where is your faith in me? And listen how he says it. Back in the text, verse 10, one of those startling, startling texts. It says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then he says this, what a credible phrase. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. In essence, what God is saying to us, he's saying... You want the good things. You want the blessing. You want to experience the fullness of life. And if I were to ask that question, almost everyone would put up their hand. We want the fullness. Give it to me. The fullness of the life that God has for us. Yes, I want it. And God says then, okay, then bring it. Bring it. Test me. You want that? You want to experience it? I've got it for you. It's right here. Your storehouse will be overflowing. That means you've got to take a risk. You've got to take a step. And it's a big one. Because it's a personal, it's one of those big things in life. Money is that big thing. Money and time are often those things that we are most, we're not generous with them. We hold them close to the chest and God says, let go of your finance. Test me. And that's a scary prospect to test God, right? That's not something that I sit there and I go, oh, I'm really excited about testing the creator of the universe. That'll be fun. But it's, he, he says, do it. And I'm going to give unto you. And that's scary to me too. Because what is he going to give? It says blessings, right? Now, I am certainly not a uh, Joel Osteen fan, all right? 
And people like him who preach a health and wealth theology. I have a problem with that. I'm not saying to you folks, hey, you give 100 bucks and God will give you back 110. I'm not going to preach that at all because I don't think it's faithful to the text of Scripture. But what I am going to say to you is that you, in faith, give unto the Lord to the point where you have to trust in him that God will meet you in that and he will pour out blessings abundantly in your life. It may not be financial. You may not all of a sudden hit the lottery. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee that's not going to happen. But what may happen is this, is where you are impoverished in relationships, God will bring great blessing and you will have abundance. Where you are perhaps impoverished in a marriage, God will be faithful and he will give abundant blessing to renew love and life and fullness and flourishing. Perhaps in places and relationships with your family, with your kids, with your, old, with your parents, with your siblings, with others, you are right now hurting. God will come in and heal and bring blessing. God can do all these different things and he may do them in all these different places. That's the sort of blessing that God assures us of. I will bring blessing in abundance, but you got to test me. Bring it. See if I don't show up. See if I don't fulfill my promise. See if I'm not going to be the God that I have said over and over and shown over and over that I am. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're looking at me and you're saying, oh yeah, pastor's throwing the guilt out on me. Honestly, this is not about guilt. I just want more for us. I want more for myself, not more financially, whatever. God has been good to us. We we have an abundance. I'll just say that. This is not about me getting a raise or more money for ministry or building a new building or doing something crazy like that. This is about us experiencing the fullness of God's blessing in our lives and in our community. I'm going to open up my pastor's heart here. One of the most discouraging things I won't say the most. It has been a discouraging thing during my ministry here. That every year that I have been here, six years, we have not met our budget. Never once. At this point, we're not going to meet it this year either. And there's one of two reasons why that might happen, why people don't give. Either A, we give out of fear. We don't fully trust God, that God will be faithful because we know what the numbers are in terms of our finances as a community. It would be easy to meet our budget two to three times over very easily if we were all faithful in giving a tithe to the church. We know that. It means that we're fearful that God won't be faithful to us or we're uncomfortable with maybe the direction that things are going or things that the pastors are doing or things that's going on in ministry and we're not going to give to something that we don't support. Both of those two things are discouraging to me as a pastor because that means A, we're not a community of faith like we can be and B, we're not a community of unity like we should be. And think about when there is a community of faith in its fullness and uni, unity in abundance. 
Think about what more could happen. There's already tons of ministry going on. You've seen Project 119. You've heard about Lagonia. You know about Lunch Bunch. You've seen what happens in children's ministry. You know what goes on in youth ministry. You know the Bible studies, the small groups, the activities, the things that go on in the church. There's this whole plethora of stuff that God is already doing. How much more? Does God have for us when we are more and more a community of faith and a community of unity that is working and trusting God more deeply together? I don't care so much about not meeting the budget, but it hurts my heart to know that we are missing out on what God can do in us when we fully and completely believe and trust in his promises and pull towards that goal of what God can do in us together. I long for more of that. I, I, that's something that gives me hunger, a passion, and excitement, and for us to all be challenged. God says, test me. Then let's do it. Let's not be afraid. Let's test God and see if he is truly who he says he is. Because there are people in the text, and he tells about them, they come next. They're, they're people who don't trust. Look. Look at verse 13. It says this. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You've said it is futile to serve God. Why did, what did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? God wasn't faithful. And because God wasn't faithful, instead of us seeing the beauty of the kingdom of God, here's what we see and here's what we name. But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper. And even those who challenge God escape. These are people who are looking around at the world around them and they are seeing things not right. And they're using that as evidence that God has not been faithful. And they are saying, which we all easily can if we look around at the world, where is God in all this? But then you have the people who tested God. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. And listen to just the beginning of the blessing that God gives. He says this about those people who honor his name. They will be mine. He is claiming ownership of those who have claimed trust in him. They will be mine in the day when I take up, make up my treasured possession. I will spare them. Now he gives us this interesting illustration. Just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. He gives us this, this, this picture of, of those people who have rejected God because they see the world around them and say, God has not been faithful to his, to his promises. And then he gives us a picture of the people who have listened to God and he calls them his. And then finally with this, this little illustration, and I'm an English major and I did a lot of writing and literature analysis and all this other sort of stuff and this illustration that he actually gives in the text 
we would probably, you know, at least if you were reading this from another writer, we'd say it's a bad illustration. Because it comes from nowhere. It has no connection to anything. What does it say there? It says in verse, verse 17, it says, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. What does that have to do with anything here? What does that have to do with what we're talking? We're talking about tithes. Oh yeah, we are talking about compassion, but we're not talking about compassion on a son who's done anything wrong. It's because God's showing us Jesus. And God's showing us just how generous he is. Because what does that text say? It says, just as a father in his compassion will spare a son who serves him. And you hear that, right? And you think, oh yeah, a a father will spare a son in his compassion who serves him, even if he has done wrong. But that's not what we hear in the Old Testament, right? We hear about a God who is so generous, who has given us so much, who's given us so much of his love and his, and, his, and his grace that he does not spare his own son. Because those who need his grace are so much in need that God says, I will be faithful and I will give what I have. I will give what I can give to the fullness. And what's interesting is he calls us to write a check or put a dollar bill or put a 20 or put a 50 or put a 100. He calls us to do those things. But instead of us, instead of that, he says, I could give all of that and more. I could give the world. I could give all of creation. But I will give what is closest, most precious and nearest and dearest to me. Because that's the only way for you to have life. That's how generous I am. Mine doesn't have dollar signs, it has blood. Mine doesn't have, you know, the risk of not paying a bill. Mine has a tomb. Mine doesn't have being a little bit short. Mine is death. Because that's how much I will give to you. Now go and do likewise. God is calling us to test him. He has shown us a model of what sacrificial giving looks like. And he says to us, I simply ask for a tenth. I ask for you to look at my kingdom and give to me what you can in faith and trust that I am God and I will be faithful to my promises. That's what I ask. I'm willing to give you everything. That's all I'm asking for. And you can test me because I'm waiting. I've got all this good stuff for you yet. I've got these places that I am just waiting and hoping and longing to give to you. If you will let go of your stuff, of your finances, of your money, of your doubt in me, and your fear that you won't be taken care of, if you can let go of that, your hands will be empty, and I will fill them. My challenge for you this week is simply this. It's interesting, because I was actually thinking we should have another offering, Mark, now after the message, just to see what would happen. 
I won't pull that on you. Okay. Be unfair. Um, but I am asking you to get a little uncomfortable. And I'm not asking you to do it for, for my sake or for the church's sake. You know, God has been faithful and cared for us through all the, the, the economic downturns, some of the challenges that we've experienced over the past number of years. God's been faithful to that. I'm going to trust, and I know that he will continue to be faithful to us. But I, I do want to see more, more for you, more for myself in how I think about faith and giving and giving to God's kingdom. So I'm calling you to a challenge of perhaps being a little bit more uncomfortable. See, because the interesting thing is, there are some of us, it's one button click, right? It's one mouse click, click, or one screen, poke, poke. We've paid our tithe, we're done, right? We've given. Easy. Now, that can be a place of faith. I'm not arguing that. Certainly it can. But what does it mean for us to think, okay, this is what I think I can give, but I'm going to add this because I'm going to trust. God says test, I'm going to. What are you going to do, Lord? What are you going to do, Lord, if I trust in you? You've given me Jesus. I can give you another 20. You've given me life. I can give you another 100. You've given me a purpose for life. I can give another 1,000. And that's individual. That's for you. I'm not here. I'm not going to be legalistic about it. I'm not going to say, here's what you need to do. Here's how it's supposed to happen. I'm going to simply ask that we as a people exercise faith in a place that is so often one of the hardest places to exercise it. That's with your money. But don't do it simply because it's this have to I got a tithe, I got a tithe, I got a tithe. Do it because of what God offers you. I will give you so much that your storehouses will not be big enough to hold it. I will give you blessings that you can't even think of or imagine yet. But you just test me. I'm waiting. Test me. God always keeps his promises. Let's pray. Father, you call us to test you. You call us <clears throat> to faith, ultimately. You call us to believe that you are God, to trust, Lord, that you do what you say you will do. And what you say you will do is take care of your people said that you gather us together and watch over us like a hen gathers and holds over her, her chicks. You've said to us that you love us. you said that you have a plan and a purpose for us. You've said over and over that we do not need to worry. We, we don't have to worry like, like even the, the, the birds in the air or the flowers in the fields because you will take care of us just as you take care of them. Lord, that's hard for us, and we confess before you. We, we repent, actually, Lord, of being fearful, of not believing, of having a lack of trust and faith, of, of holding things too close to our chest because we're not really sure if God can take care of us here. Lord, we pray that you meet us in our repentance. And as we give back to you what is already yours, that we will experience the fullness of your blessing. 
however that blessing comes and whatever it is, that we might experience its fullness and we might also experience seeing you then taking what we give and using it, multiplying it, making it so much greater than what we already have. Convict us, Lord, that we can never outgive you. You've given us Jesus. May we have that heart to want to give back to you just as you have given unto us what we can never, ever repay. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.